It is great to be together for another Sunday as we study the book of Ephesians as well. As you know, we've been in our sermon series, A Church Like Christ, and that has been our hope, our prayer, as we've been studying the book of Ephesians, that it would speak directly to our hearts and reminding us, as the Apostle Paul was writing to those early believers, of those truths of who God is, those universal truths of who um, Christ Jesus is and the fullness of Christ Jesus in the church. And even as we saw in the last few weeks, there's this call to seeing a righteousness in our lives as we're mindful of the fact that as the Holy Spirit works deeply in us, it draws us closer and closer to Christ and we start to look more and more like Christ Jesus. And that's the challenging work of transformation, of continually being transformed by the Holy Spirit. Now today, as we um, get into chapter number five, we're going to see Paul dealing with some really heavy topics. You know, I'm going to put a, a PG rating on this. Parents, I, I, my kids are in the room as well. And so whether they're here or online, um, I, it, it won't go too deep and too graphic into detail, but Paul does address some, some adult level things that he's dealing with that were the realities in the church in Ephesus, but that also still exist in our day and our time. And so um, I, will, I will be cautious in my language, but just so you have a heads up, we're coming from Ephesians chapter five. You can read ahead a little bit and see uh, where we're going today. But in this passage, he even uses some metaphors, and we're going to look at those uh, as we study the first uh, verses. Now, I'm going to look at 20 verses today, and the way we'll do it is we're going to do it in some, some sections, some chunks of scripture. So I'm going to read a few verses. We're going to talk about what Paul's saying, read a few more verses, talk about what Paul's saying, and then bring it all together for conclusion for us at the end. But what Paul is helping us see here as he gets into uh, what we call chapter five. And remember, there were no chapter and verse markings in the original uh, writing in the original Greek. It was just a flow, flowing letter, like you would write an email or maybe compose a, this would be too long to be a text message, but an email or maybe a letter written to a friend. That's what he's doing. He's writing a letter and in it, he's going to use some imagery, these ideas of light and dark, um, dealing with uh, death and life and evil and holiness. And out of that, drawing this this call to us to see a transformation in our souls, but also in our community, that we're building culture, the, the culture of Christian community as we walk in Christ Jesus. And all too often what we see is that people approach Christianity as it's a, almost as like it's an add-on to life. You know, it's like if you had, uh, you know, you're building your, your cart of uh, your online purchase of life and you go, oh, uh, yeah, I'll add Christianity in there too. We'll go ahead and add that one on. And, and unfortunately, even in, in Paul's time in the church in Ephesus, the people there, those early Christian believers were approaching it in much the same way where they were still living the, the kind of status quo, life as usual, what was the popular culture around them, but then they were kind of bringing Christianity into it as an add-on. But unfortunately, when we live that way, we start to see this dividing that happens between the Spirit of God and our own lives and our own spirit. And that's what Paul's calling out here and saying, there's some serious things that are happening in your life and in your relationships that need to be dealt with. It needs to be addressed. And we talked about it even a little bit last week, how he says, you know, in Ephesians 4, he says, take off the old way of life, like take it off, destroy it, put it in the fire, burn it, like that old pair of shoes that are just so disgusting, you can't wear them anymore, like get rid of that, and then take on the new life, the new life that is in Christ Jesus. And so now Paul's going to start describing some of the things that need to be taken off. And we saw a few of those last week. He's going to deal with some more. And then he's going to say, this is what it means to put on the new life that's in Christ Jesus. And so it impacts 
everything in our life. It impacts our time. It impacts the way that we spend our time. It impacts our health, our physical health, our mental health. It impacts our relationships. It impacts the way that we approach the work that we do. It starts to impact everything in our life. And Paul is wanting us to see just how deep and how vast this belonging to Christ and being in Christ Jesus truly is. And so part of what we see here is the power of Paul's letter is derived from his ability to give a glimpse of the heart of God as God the Father, and then a glimpse of what it means to be children of God who are in Christ Jesus and belong to the family of God. And so as we look at Ephesians chapter 5, let's start with verse number 1, and this is what Paul begins to name. And, and, and realize, again, he's part of what he's address, addressing here is he's going to address some issues that are issues of morality or issues of, of righteous living, as the church would call them. And, and we see that these directives that Paul's giving is not just for the individual, and it's not just for the community, but it's all together as a whole, reflecting the holiness and the attitude of the heart of Christ Jesus. So, and this is why he starts out in verse number one. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children walk in a way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So here in the very beginning, as we get into chapter five, we see that, that again, Paul's reminding us that this call to, to a different way of living is not to somehow appease God or make God happy with us or make God like us, but he's drawing it back again to that foundation that's in Christ Jesus that says, we're following God's example. We're following the example of Christ. And because we're dearly loved children, we're gonna walk in the way of love. And because Christ Jesus loved us so deeply, and he gave himself so freely for us, then we're going to deal with some real stuff in just a moment. In the next verse, we're going to deal with some heavy stuff. And he's going to name it and say, look, because of what Christ Jesus has done, we can talk about this. And as we talk about these things, we don't talk about it in a way with shame. We don't talk about it in a way even with feeling condemned. We talk about it in a way of realizing that we have come out of the world into a new family, a new culture, a new way of living. And as we start to, to see the difference, this radical shift of coming from darkness into light, of coming from being one estranged from the family of God, of being now in the family of God, it then changes the way that we live. And out of this, and this is what's so amazing as Paul sets this up, he's showing the sacrificial nature that's in Christ Jesus and he's saying, this is the same way that you're to live. You're to sacrifice your wants and your desires. You're to sacrifice your, your willingness to just approach your own um, passions and desires within this world. You are to sacrifice those things in pursuit of Christ Jesus, in pursuit of holiness, in pursuit of, of God and God alone. And so as we start to talk about it, we realize there's this reciprocal nature between God and God's creation between God the Father and us as children, as sons and daughters. And it's this back and forth that's a willful surrender like Christ Jesus that follows this experiential encounter with the fullness of Christ Jesus in our hearts and in our lives. And so as he says this, he, he sets it up and he says, okay, just as Christ Jesus loved us so much and freely gave himself, let's talk about some things. Verse number three, but among you, because of what Christ Jesus has done, but among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, coarse jo joking, which are out of place, but rather 
thanksgiving. So instead of all of those things, come to a place of thanksgiving. In verse number five, for of this, you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath or God's anger, sometimes translated God's judgment, comes on those who are disobedient. Verse number seven, therefore, do not be partners with them. Do not be joined together with them. So what we see here, as Paul begins to name it, is he's saying, look, there is this call to purity. There is this call to righteousness. There is this call to holiness that means a separating from the ways of this world, of living according to the ways of this world. And we're going to look at why Paul names these things specifically in just a moment. But he says, as you do, realize that that those things, they're out of place. They don't belong in the community of faith. They don't belong in the relationships and the way of relating to one another when we're in the family of God. But in Instead, we're going to adopt an attitude of gratitude. We're going to become people who who operate out of thanksgiving. And so in this, we're starting to recognize our dependency on God to be the one who fulfills our needs. Christ Jesus to be the one who, as he has sacrificed himself in the fullness of who he is, we then come to a place of realizing why we should have restraint in the way that we live, why we should be not... um, living from a place of what would be labeled as immorality, but living from a place of righteousness, of holiness. And now we see when we look through the New Testament, and this is something that would be great to take some notes on, but as we look across the New Testament, there are several reasons why the followers of Jesus um, are, are told that they should have restraint from the, the things of this world or um, things that would be labeled as immoral or things that would be labeled as not of God. You know, one of those is the fact that um, we're created in God's image, So in being created in God's image, we're created as a whole being in God's image. And our our whole being belongs to Christ Jesus because of the sacrifice of Christ Jesus. And our whole being should be indwelt by the Holy Spirit. So you can see this, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit of how we were made and created by God. We were redeemed and saved through Christ Jesus, and we've been filled with the Holy Spirit. And so from that, through and through, we should be living in a way that's pleasing to God. But in the same way, um, another thing that gets addressed in the New Testament is the fact that there is an incomprehensible nature to God's holiness. And in that, we are called to enter into the mystery of God's holiness, of that pursuit of becoming more like Christ Jesus and less like the things of this world, as Paul would name them. But then also, and this is what we see in in these verses named here, even today, we see that there's a component of when we live in disobedience, when we live against this example that Christ Jesus has set before us or what Paul is naming, then we move into a place of being subject to God's wrath or God's anger, of God's judgment. And realize this is something we've talked about in the last few weeks too, of how God's wrath is not a wrath that's unjust, it's not, a, it's not unpredictable. It's not like our explosive nature sometimes when we get angry. But God's wrath is one that is laid out clearly in understanding that there are, there are boundaries and there are um, ways that we're supposed to live that are according to, to God's way and not the ways of this world. And when we step outside of that, we move into a place of being corrected by the Spirit of God. And so this is part of what Paul's naming We see in another letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians, Paul explains it this way, dealing with some of these same ideas that he's naming here. And this is 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse number 12. He explains this way. He he says, you say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. 
And even though I'm allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. So you can already see what he's saying of how there's this this kind of free will choice of like, yeah, you can do anything, but in your doing of anything, you can actually become enslaved to it. Verse number 13, you say food was made for the stomach and the stomach for food. And then kind of parenthetically, he says, this is true, though someday God will do away with both of them. Saying you get so fixated on, you know, what you eat and the stomach and food and it's all made for each other. But you can't say that our bodies were made for sexual immorality. They were made for the Lord and the Lord cares about our bodies. This idea of our whole being our physical body, our soul, our spirit. And God will raise us from the dead by his power, just as he raised our Lord from the dead. And then jumping down to verse 18 in that same chapter, he says, run away from sexual sin. No other sin is so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Do you not realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? So again, you can see this being created whole and complete in the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit lives in you and was given to you by God. You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. That's that sacrifice of Christ Jesus. So you must honor God with your body, with your whole being. Again, the reason why Paul is naming this is not just an issue of addressing sexual immorality and what we do with our physical body, but realizing that in the wholeness of who we are, there's a, there's a component of how what we do and how we act affects our spiritual well-being. It affects the well-being of others. It affects our ability to have relationship with God. But he doesn't limit it just to this place of sexual morality. He says, even greed. He says, your greediness, your desire to meet your needs in unhealthy ways. Maybe that is through money and the love of money. Maybe it's a greed for for food and overeating. Maybe it's a greed for um, your own uh, pride and ego and and self-accomplishment and self-worth in that way. He says, look, any of that greed, what does he say? He says, look at any person whose heart is focused on these things and they've become an idolater. They're, They're one who worships idols. And for us, again, in our modern language, we may kind of miss the the component or the reality of what Paul's naming there. But remember, he's writing to the church in Ephesus. Ephesus had one of the seven wonders of the the ancient world. It was the temple to the goddess Artemis. She was a, a goddess of fertility. And there was a certain way of cultic worship to fertility goddesses that were very much depraved. They were the things of this world and what would happen there in the cultic practice of worshiping this goddess. And so he's reminding the people there in Ephesus that look, this way that you've been taught of how you appease the gods or how you get the favor of the gods or how you can just gratify yourself, Like, it has to change. And we can see it even in our own day, in our own culture, right? Because we've been taught, like, if I want it my way, I get it my way. If that's what modern advertising has taught us, customize it to the extent of whatever you want, whatever you're buying, whatever you're eating, whatever you're consuming, have it your way. And in doing so, it also is connected back to this attitude and this mindset of greed, a mindset of scarcity, a mindset of, of, of I, I have to hold and possess what I have. And then what I do have, my money I have is all for me or for my family and in building up my own personal wealth, 
my own future retirement, my own sense of well-being and safety in the world. And Paul's saying, look, when you hold to the things of this world so tightly, what you're doing is you are now stepping into the place of becoming an idolater, to use that language he used with the Ephesians, of saying, you've now taken your eyes off of God, off of Christ Jesus, and you fix them onto the things of this world. You've, you've now stepped back into a way of living that is the old life. Come out of that. You've been called into something new. He wants his readers to know there are realities to the world around you that have become normalized. You live in Ephesus. You live in the United States of America. You live in Connecticut. You live in the greater Hartford area or Massachusetts. You, you, you're, you're living in an area and a culture where a certain way of living has become so normalized that then there's the things of this world that are worshiped, they're idolatry, they become idolized. And so in that, he's saying, look, we can't have any part in that. It doesn't mean you cut yourself off and you wall yourself in your home and you have no existence outside of the boundaries of your home or maybe the church. But he's saying, what are the things that you in your life are pursuing? Yes, it's tied to this idea of sexual immorality. It's tied to greed, but it's this thing of revealing the motivation of the heart. And, and this is the thing, is we don't get to give ourselves a pass when it comes to obedience to God. It's always obedience to God, not obedience to the things of this world. We don't get to make justifications or reasons why it's okay to just allow a little bit here, allow a little bit there. You know, it's not, it's not like, oh, well, I, I mean, well, you know, we love each other and we feel committed to each other. So, you know, that's, this is going to be okay. Or, you know, I'm a certain age and a certain season of life, so I just need this. I know God says this or God believes this or, or wants me to act and live in this way, but I really need this thing or I need to make this person happy with me or I need to make sure that I have this amount in my bank account or I need to and when we start doing that what we're doing is we're making allowances we're making justifications and then what that does is it starts to move us closer and closer to a habitual way of living that then is tied to the things of this world and Paul says that is idolatry that is worshiping things that are not of God you're worshiping the things of this world and at the same time he reminds us like we're people that are not without hope I mean, look at the way he continues his words here. He says, you know, with these words in imagery, he reminds us of the place of forgiveness and belonging that we have for every single person who is in Christ Jesus, for those who are walking in the light. And that's what he says as we pick it up in verse number eight. He's named all of this. And then he says, verse number eight, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. And I'm going to stop right there. I'm not going to go too far with just one verse, but I love the fact that he says, not you were in darkness and now you are in light, but his words literally in the Greek language, he says, for once you were darkness, but now you are the light. So live as children of the light. Let it shine forth. In verse number nine, he says, for the truth, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It's, it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible 
and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, wake up sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Those last words there, they believe were almost like a hymn, a song, a phrase that would be sung within the church. This idea of wake up from darkness, rise up from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And he's saying, you are no longer darkness, you are light. You are light that shines forth. You are hope. These words come directly from Jesus. Jesus in Matthew 5.14, he tells his followers, you are the light of the world. So I'm going to set you up in a place so that the light shines forth because what happens when we see light? Light shines and it allows us to see. Light shines and it illuminates. Light shines and it reminds us of the fact of what's really there around us. It helps us to begin to see things, not, you know, feeling around in the darkness, but to see things as it really is. And that's how Paul is able to name these kind of heavy things and go, look, some of you are still living this way. Let's deal with it. Not in a shameful way, not in a way that's condemning, but let's just name it and say, this is what it is because we're letting the light shine forth. And as the light shines in our life, what does it do? It produces fruit. That's how fruit grows. That's how plants grow. They need the light shining forth. And so it's so amazing because he says, number one, you know, you're children of the light. So it's this place of belonging, that God is light. Christ Jesus is the light of the world, that we know that Christ Jesus came in the world and that the darkness didn't overcome the light, but that he was the light. And now we're being told that we are children of the light. So it's like we carry kind of this this God DNA within us that reminds us that we are just like God the Father, that we've been made one with him in Christ Jesus. And because of that, we get to carry the fruit of bearing the light. It's this fruit that's a result of something. Fruit is the the outcome of it, and it takes light to produce the fruit. And so what happens when someone lives with the light of Christ Jesus within them? It starts to produce what? What does Paul name? Goodness, righteousness, truth. This is a fruit that the light starts to produce in our light. And so it's important for us to recognize that in Christ Jesus, we then become children of the light. We become ones who are are bearing fruit and the fruit looks like goodness, righteousness, and truth. And in many different religions, there's this naming uh, of light or enlightenment. And and it can mean a lot of different things across different religions. But here it's spelled out really clearly within within Christianity, with those that follow Christ Jesus, the light of God shines forth from our lights. And what does it do? It transforms. It brings goodness, righteousness, and truth. And this, as Paul names it, are the very things that become the antidote to, to idolatry, to, to living in, within the temptations of the idols of this world, the things that would pull us away from God. When we live within the light and the light of God shining through us, then we start to bear fruit that is goodness, righteousness, and truth. And so it's like if we want to counteract this this component of worshiping the things of this world or being bound to the things of this world, the idolatry of, of immorality, of impurity and greed, as Paul names it, we have to live with the light of Christ Jesus within us. And so Paul, he, he kind of keeps building this. You know, he says, rise and shine. The day has come to deal with some things. And then in verse number 15, he picks it up again. He writes, be very careful then how you live. He's giving this kind of stern warning. It's caution, but it's also an opportunity. Look what he says. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, 
but understand what the Lord's will is. And we're going to pause right there because I think it's so important for us, again, to remember that we need to take very seriously things that, um, you know, the things that are very valuable and important to us in our lives and we hold deeply, we, we, we value that, we take it very seriously. And so sometimes those things are our job, our education, our home, our family, our hobbies, maybe even our appearance, like the things that we take seriously, we value them. They matter so much to us. But Paul is showing us that as Christians, we must take seriously our life in Christ the light that we bear as Christians. We must treat it as the very valuable thing that it is. And he says, look, when you live in a way that's in in disobedience to God or live in a way that's outside of what God has called you to, whether it's in areas of of immorality or impurity, as he names, or even the, the greed and the passions of this world, he's saying, you know what? No longer. That's the unwise way of living. Take the opportunity to make the wise choice. Sometimes the wise choice is the hard choice because it demands self-control. It demands resisting temptation. And he's saying, as you do this, you are living as one who is in the light. Now, I'll remind you the fact that like this doesn't happen accidentally. This is the challenge for us. It doesn't happen accidentally. It doesn't happen without intentionality. Like we don't become more like Christ just, you know, accidentally wake up one day and go, oh, look how different I am from yesterday to today. Like something has changed in me. Like it takes work. We must take, we must make intentional decisions to grow. We must make intentional decisions to work actively to see growth both in our lives, but also in the lives of those that we have an impact on, those that we have influence on. And so the way that we're living dramatically um, matters. It has such deep importance, such value. You know, we talked a few weeks ago as Paul named those fivefold ministry gifts, apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher. And in naming those, what Paul was doing was he's saying, these are gifts that Christ Jesus has given you. These are gifts that um, Christ Jesus has given the church to be the fullness of the body of Christ. And so this is our time to activate those gifts. This is our time to use those gifts, and we're going to need them to be able to be diligent about what living for Christ should look like. Paul's saying, like, we got to make the most of every opportunity that we have. And I will tell you, in the, in the rhythm of our life, in the day and age that we live in, probably even more so than the ancient world, just with the fact that we are such an interconnected society now, we have so many opportunities to make the wise choice, as Paul would call it. Not the unwise one, but the wise one of making every opportunity to live as Christ Jesus. They come to us a hundred times a day as we're connected online, as we're, we're living in the, the reality and the temptations of this world. Paul's reminding us, look, like the opportunities are all around you. So are you going to live as one who is wise, who is in Christ Jesus, or are we going to live as those who are unwise, those who who fall into the temptations of this world, those who become like idolaters because they're so fixated on this thing that's of this world that we lose sight of who Christ Jesus is. And we need to understand wise people make the most of of their time. Wise people work to discern the will of God. Wise people are willing to do the hard work to be transformed by Christ Jesus. And you know, it's easy. And I think this is why Paul is naming this. It's easy to fall back into our our old way of living, to fall back into our our beliefs, our traditions, even surface level interaction with one another, or just a a kind of an easiest path of, the least path path of resistance. It's very easy for us to kind of go that route. 
But Paul is saying, no, 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 look, like there's some work to do. It's not, the Christian life isn't about kicking back and relaxing, but it's leaning forward, being on high alert for each opportunity that we have to be the light of Christ Jesus, both in the world, but also in our lives and knowing that it produces fruit. The fruit of the light is goodness, righteousness, and truth. We've named that. And we'll have plenty of chances of those to see it portrayed in our families, in our homes, to see it portrayed in our, in our community, in our workplaces. We have countless opportunities. And so it means sometimes making the hard choice when it comes to our, to our lifestyle and our relationships of being willing to, to resist immediate gratification to be able to see that over time, there's a deeper um, relationship that can be developed with other people as we are willing to resist giving in to immediate temptations. It's being willing to share the hope of Christ Jesus with someone who needs it, not in a way that's like just slapping a Band-Aid on a, a, a wound, but it's actually saying that there is a God who has created you, who loves you, who wants to transform you through and through, it's caring for, you know, a family member or a friend that's in need, maybe not just physical need, but being willing to sacrifice on behalf of the other. It's being engaged in the community of faith and, and sacrificing on behalf of others, of giving of our tithe and our offering of, uh, to the work of God, both within our church and then through um, other partnerships through the community. It's standing up against injustice. And so Paul says, you know what, ignoring these opportunities, it's, it's foolishness. We're missing the opportunity to live as Christ Jesus. In some ways, it's possible for us to, to run ahead of what the Holy Spirit is doing. But in Galatians 5.25, Paul says, instead of, of moving ahead, we need to stay in step with the Holy Spirit. Not moving ahead or, or lagging behind, but moving in step with the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we create our own agendas. We build our, on our own desires and our own assumptions. And Paul's saying, surrender all of that and live as ones who are in the light. But look at the final verses here, and this is what is so good because he keeps returning back to this is what God wants. This is what pleases God, and this is what it looks like in your life. So we find God's will in scripture, but it, it's also our continual interaction with God through the Holy Spirit that, that fills us to overflowing. And so then he says in verse number 18, he says, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to, to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of Christ Jesus our Lord. It's almost like he comes to a point of like, he gets so impassioned that he, he has this moment that's almost like a prayerful moment of saying, you know, in all of this, we do all of it in the name of Christ Jesus our Lord. Some biblical scholars think, especially in these, these last few verses, that Paul's kind of bringing to mind or has this imagery of, of um, almost like tavern songs. It's this idea of people drinking together and singing rowdy songs, and specifically, especially in his culture, there were certain songs, there were kind of hymns, community songs that were sung in honor of um, the god Bacchus, who is the god of drinking and debauchery. So it's like literally, there, you know, there's a god for everything. And so there's the god of like drinking and debauchery, of just like giving yourself fully to every passion without resistance. And so there were certain songs that were sung there. And so it's almost like Paul in naming this, he's saying, look, once again, there's a pattern in a way that you can live. But instead, like that leads to, to, to death rather than life. And he says, what? Be filled with the Spirit. 
be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's like Paul is saying, if we could rephrase it, it's like he's saying, look, you see your neighbors going out to the bars. They're getting like sloppy drunk. They're singing foolish songs with one another, but you have access to a far greater power. You have access to God's spirit and it will fill you and excite you and change your every behavior. It will also draw you together with others singing songs. But these are meaningful songs because they're songs of gratitude to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's like Paul is saying in, all, in place of all of this, in place of the, the temporary pleasures of this world, he's saying be filled with the spirit of God because it transforms you. And as it fills you, it's gonna fill you to overflowing. And then as you live in that way, it's gonna be that light that shines so bright that it starts to, to transform not only yourself, but others as well. Like out of the spirit of God, it brings strength and it brings transformation. So we think about it and we realize that, you know, as Paul's naming this, he's saying it's not, it's not an issue of, you know, are you allowed to drink or are you not? But he's saying, look, you can use the things of this world like alcohol or any other thing to numb yourself, to disconnect, to kind of like make yourself check out. But he says, instead of that, use the Holy Spirit to, to not check out, to not disconnect, not to numb out, but to come awake, come alive in Jesus Christ. Like the Holy Spirit is the one that, that helps us to see the world as it is. Alcohol or, or whatever other thing you would put in the place tries to, to nim, uh, dim our view, to, to disconnect us from the world around us, to give us an escape. But the Holy Spirit is the one that actually brings us into reality to begin to see things as God sees it and realize that as we lean into the Holy Spirit, it changes us. The Holy Spirit is the one that guides both individual hearts, but the Holy Spirit is also the one that guides the church, the community of faith together, that we belong to Christ Jesus. It's the scriptures that the Holy Spirit brings alive in us and helps us to understand God's truth, how God is speaking to us. And so as we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we realize that we can read the word of God and then we can see it transform us. And again, it's not just for the individual, it's for the community of faith. And we learn as we read the word together, as we listen to the word of God preached, we learn how to apply it to our lives. We realize that out of this, as we gather together, like Paul's talking about, singing songs of praise and, and encouraging one another with these songs of praise, these words of praise, like this is what draws the community of faith together. This is what encourages us together. This is what builds us up as we listen to the Spirit of God and we respond to it. And so, as I said, you know, we, we just moved through 20 verses of Ephesians fairly quickly, dealing with some pretty heavy stuff. Um, and, and there's so much more greater depth that we could go into in these verses. But as I bring it together, I want us to, again, I want to draw back just a few points of what Paul is naming here and how we can begin to apply this to our lives. And this is, this is where I'll bring things to a conclusion. But number one, he's, he reminded us that we need to be an example of Christ Jesus, and that example of Christ Jesus, it's sacrificial, but it's also reciprocal. It's Christ Jesus giving him, himself for the other, but then also us laying down our lives on behalf of Christ Jesus. It's that back and forth reciprocal nature that exists in Christ Jesus, but then that we also need to have with one another. But he also said, you know, examine your life. Look at your life and say, have we allowed the things of this world to become idols? things that we fix our hope on, things that, that capture our mind and our hearts and, and the way that we live, or are we fixated on Christ Jesus and Christ alone? 
You know, it was Paul that, that was trying to help us understand that when we're living with habitual patterns that are the ways of this world, we've become an idolater. We've, we've shifted our true allegiance away from God and God alone, and we're worshiping something that is not God. And so we spend time with the Holy Spirit as we're being filled to the Holy, with the Holy Spirit to listen and say, God, is there something that you want to change in me? Is there something that I need to surrender? And that is another way that, that Paul was explaining that we are to live as children of the light because children of the light are ones that allow Christ Jesus to shine in us and through us because it's light that produces what? Goodness, righteousness, and truth. I don't know about you, but that's what I want people to say about me, about my life, that I'm a person who is filled with goodness, a person who lives with the righteousness of God, a person who knows the truth of God and is willing to shine that out like a light shining so bright in the darkness. And I pray that for you. And then lastly, he said, you know, be full of the Holy Spirit. Just let the Holy Spirit fill you up. So then you're not, you know, given to like these cheap escapes of of alcohol or other things that may um, put you into a place of being bondage to that, but instead live fully free lives in Christ Jesus and let God fill your life with the true power that comes from the Holy Spirit. And as you do that, it leads you to a place of gratitude, singing songs of praise, singing songs of joy, that that deep gratitude begins to reside in our hearts, the joy of Christ Jesus. And then we begin to share that with others. That's the last part of what he said. The fact that as we do that, we share it with others. Those are the places that bring us together and builds the community of faith. Now, as we move into a place of response this morning, um, I'll go ahead and ask you if you would, if you would just bow your head, close your, close your eyes for a moment, and I'm not going to ask anything of you that would be embarrassing. Nobody's needing to raise their hand or, or share anything even in the, the chat online or anything that would embarrass you, but I want us to sit for a moment listening to the Holy Spirit. And so with our eyes closed and just listening to the Holy Spirit, I want us to remember that true freedom comes from the work and the power of the Holy Spirit in us. And so there are moments in our lives where we're called to to accountability, where we're called to um, remembering that, that Christ Jesus, yes, gave himself for us, but then in the same way, we are supposed to humbly submit ourselves to God. That's the place of, of that, that biblical word, repentance, of confessing that there are places in my life that don't honor Christ Jesus. There are things in my life and my habit and my way of living that have become an idol for me a place of worshiping at the feet of something other than worshiping at the feet of Christ Jesus. And so now in this moment, I want us to just pause for a moment and listen to the Holy Spirit. Listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying and asking the Holy Spirit, shine your light in me. What do I need to surrender today? And then as as the Holy Spirit does that, and I believe there are things that the Holy Spirit may be speaking to us even now, we confess it. We name it and we say, Christ Jesus, I lay this down. I destroy this idol, this thing that's not of you. Help me to to throw it out, to put the old self away from me. And as I continue to take on the new self that's in Christ Jesus, Lord, remind me of who I am in you. Lord, forgive me for the ways that I've, I've stepped away from you. I've stepped outside of you. It takes work to find these places of, of true repentance and true freedom. And so for some of us today, it may even mean moving into a place of accountability to another person where we share those those places of of temptation, of struggle, not in a way that is is false humility or not a way that's just for the the shock value or, or crying a few temporary tears, 
but in a way of accountability that says, I want to live as one who is whole and complete in Christ Jesus. And so I confess the things that have become idols for me. And then in accountability, we allow another person to help us to continue to grow, to stay on that path that is true light and righteousness, the path of wisdom that shows goodness and righteousness and truth. And so for some of you today, it may mean reaching out to Pastor Kristen or myself and saying, look, there's this thing that God just is reminding me I need to deal with. It may mean even getting some some professional help of counseling and therapy. Understand God is in that work. God wants to set you free to live a fully free life in Christ Jesus. And so I wanna pray for all of us now because we all need this. God, as we come before you today, and the power of who you are and the wonder of your majesty, I pray God that you remind us that we are but children. We are your children. And so as being a child to God the Father, we confess our dependency on you. God, may our dependency be on you and you alone to live as children of the light, as ones who belong to the light, who are, who are made of the light of Christ Jesus. And God, as we say that today and as we pray that over our lives, we realize that in some areas of our lives, that really may not be true. That we've, we've allowed things to, to creep into our life or we've allowed old idols of, of uh, yesterday and, and the days before and the months and years before to still kind of remain and be part of the way that we experience life. And today, God, I see that you are calling us to accountability in you. You're calling us to be ones who destroy those idols of immorality, of impurity, even of greed, of, of, of destroying those things and saying, I am not going to have a dependency on that. My dependency is going to be on God the Father through Christ Jesus as the Holy Spirit fills me to overflowing. So church, as I pray for you today, I pray that you begin to experience the hope and the power of Christ Jesus, that there would be a boldness in your spirit as you surrender to the work of the Holy Spirit. I pray, God, that as we become more and more like Christ, that you give us the ability to deal with those uncomfortable things, to deal with maybe even the embarrassing things that that we're not willing to confess or admit to anyone else. But Christ Jesus, as we name it and we admit it to you, you give us the ability to have freedom and wholeness to truly experience the fruit of living in the light. God, we pray for this in our lives today. We entrust ourselves to you and your care, and we pray all of it in the name of Jesus. Amen.